Welcome to your success tonic. If you're ready to explore what it would mean to step into your boldest, most exciting vision of success, then you're in the right place. Welcome to your success tonic. I am delighted to welcome Richard Moran onto the podcast today. Um, he is a true icon in the business world, and so I feel very, very lucky to have this conversation with him. He's a distinguished Silicon Valley-based business leader, best-selling author, venture capitalist, and in fact, the author of 10 influential books. So he has empowered countless individuals and organizations to navigate the ever-evolving landscape of modern business. And he's also the host of a CBS syndicated radio program in the workplace, where he engages audiences with thought-provoking discussions and expert insights on a wide range of topics. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Natalie. Great to be here. Oh, I am very, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm very yeah. happy to... So have I, so have I. <laughs> so... I want to kick off right away with asking you about, you know, in your experience, what do you believe is preferable? Making a poor choice or refraining from deciding altogether? Ah, uh, you're starting out with a, such a yes. hard question. Yes. So <laughs> there's um, lots of ways to answer that question, but, but let me start out with something that uh, is based on research, and that ah. is uh, Bain, the, re the big consulting firm Bain & Co. They did uh, a lot of research on what they call the two-minute rule, mm. and they believe, that, or the research showed, that the decision that you're likely to make in the first two minutes of being faced with it is probably the same decision that you would make a week later, if you suffered over it the entire time. And, and the value of making a fast decision is that if it's the wrong decision, you can fix it quickly. <laughs> so that's one way to answer the question. The other way to answer the question is, um, and I talk about this in the book, is in your heart of hearts, if you're self-aware, you know what the right decision is. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you make that one. <laughs> But if you're self-aware, you're very likely to make the right decision. So one of the keys that I've found in successful leaders and entrepreneurs is that they make decisions based on what they know will, will work based on their self-awareness. And it's it's tricky to be self-aware. Not It's not a button that you push. Right, right. Which is why it can be so helpful to work with a coach with, and do self-development work because you can train your confidence in that part of yourself so that when you get that gut reaction, that, that instant yeah. you know, knowing, you just can go with it. A question I get asked all the time about decision-making, and there's lots of research and about decision-making and lots of books about decision-making. And mine, mine is about the word whatever. So it's, it comes at it from a different standpoint. But um, I, the question I get often is about can I trust my gut? Should I use my gut in decision-making? Mm -hmm. And and Stephen, Steve Jobs is famous for always saying, I use my gut when I make decisions. Well, his gut was informed. He had 30 years of experience 
in making decisions about products and technology. So, so the answer is yes, your gut can be a great way to make decisions if it's informed. Yes. If, you're, if you're 20 years old and you've never made a decision, your gut is not informed. You need to use other, other ways to make a decision. I love that distinction. That makes so much sense because it's it's not that black or white thinking like all all yes, always yes. It's um yeah, there's there's a big difference. Once yeah. you train yourself and you have that background, it makes all really yeah. just it makes but, that quicker. Can I add one more thing while Absolutely. while we're on this the more, yeah. while we're on this role, Natalie, is uh something inherent in your first question was about risk. Mm -hmm. is, it okay to, is it okay to make a risky decision? And what I've learned from a lot of interviews with successful people is that they are willing to take a risk um, because mm -hmm. what they found and what the research shows is that the regrets that we have is not about the decisions that we made, but it's about the decisions that we did not make. I should have gone to graduate school. I should have married that guy in my study group. I should mm -hmm. have. So there's this whole concept, I call it in the book, I call it the shoulda, coulda, woulda. And, yeah. and it's about the, the, the lack of risk taking that people don't, don't take. And Richard Branson is famous for saying, um, always take a job that puts you in over your head yeah. because you'll, you'll figure it out. And that's, that's a risk. And I think decision-making often with leaders is, there's a risk factor involved and they take the risk. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. Yes. I love that perspective. And I think that um, when you do that, when you jump in and you say, right, I'm going to take the risk and this is bigger than me. This is, this is something that I'm not fully ready for. Then you grow into that, into that right. larger role, into that, right. into this, and you expand your capacity. Yeah. For everything, including more risk. <laughs> yeah, and for the for the entrepreneurs who are listening, I mean, you, you've already taken a big risk. Being an entrepreneur means you are a risk taker. So yeah. follow that through. Don't don't become a uh, an entrepreneur who's averse to risk. That those are counter. Yes. So keep that risky element in your in your DNA. Yes, excellent advice. Yes, thank you, Richard. It's a good reminder. Mm -hmm. um so i want to come to the title of your book and i want to ask you you know why why should we never say whatever well you you just pronounced the word in a in a <laughs> very sublime way usually <laughs> people say why should i never say whatever whatever yeah and, <laughs> Two things happen when you say the word whatever. One is you you convey this persona that you're a, a slacker or that you don't care or that you're just a you know a not engaged. Mm -hmm. So you're so you're hurting your personal brand. The second thing that happens is you're not making a decision. Mm -hmm. when, you say, when you say whatever, that means you're faced with decisions and you don't you don't make one. Yeah. And the big premise of the book is that um, it's the small decisions that matter because there's only, uh, um, when you ask people about big decisions in their lives, they're hard pressed to name more than 10 or 12. It's 
where you live, what your career is, who you marry, children, your faith, whether or not to get a dog. Those are all big decisions. Yeah. But where to go to lunch or should you prepare for a Zoom call or uh, should you prepare for your performance review? Those are all small decisions and that they can often be faced with a whatever. And it's those whatevers that, that just kill your relationships, they kill your career. And so I'm a, I've become a personal, uh, I'm become an evangelist to kill, to kill that one word because it's not benign. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's a toxic word. And uh, all the definitions in the book, I came up with 20 different definitions. They're all bad. They're all, they yeah. all convey something that is not good. So yeah. th that's the, that's the, that's the way to go. And in the book, I talk about all the tools and hacks that you can use to make those small decisions. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. And I'll just add a, like a personal note here. The, the reason that you're, that this resonates with me so strongly is that this is a conversation I've had quite often. And in, uh, in my family with my husband and my son, who is about to turn 16, um, we don't have a lot of rules because he's just an excellent kid and he's just amazing. But one rule in our house, it has always been, you're not allowed to say whatever. And he knows that, that's like, you know, you know, and that's something that my husband has insisted on. And he's just like, you're not allowed. You have to, you have to decide, decide. Yeah, it's a great, <clears throat> it's a great rule. And uh, so, your your husband deserves a medal for yeah. it. <laughs> I've heard it often said about children, you know, especially teenagers. Yeah. That is illegal in our family, the whatever word. Yeah. But I found that um, it's not everyone thinks that it's mostly teenage girls, especially who say whatever. It came out of the movie Clueless. Remember, right. she Alicia Silverstone would put up the W. And um, mm -hmm. but I found that every it, there's a tendency for everyone to do it. And it could be a shrug of the shoulders. It could be rolling your eyes. It could be the middle finger. Right. It, it could be, it, it, so it's not just teenage girls and it's, um, the the meaning varies, depends on who says it. But uh, but it, it's just not, make the decision, make a, any decision. Um, because there's not, usually there's not a lot of options. There's one or two options. I've often, I, I've also found that one of the leaders I interviewed in the book, who when she is confronted with when somebody at work says whatever, she stops and she says, tell me what that means. Mm -hmm. And and it really, you know, stops people in their tracks from from using the word, because when you when you're confronted with tell me what that means, you stop saying it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because there is an element of it that feels rebellious. So I think some people use it in a way just to be like, well, I don't have to listen to you. And I'm sort of, yeah. this is my rebel, inner rebel coming out. And yet the inner rebel is not creating anything positive. It's, it's, no. it's, a, it's an excuse to disengage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I've often heard, there's so many different ways to go with the word. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've heard it used in relationships where you know, honey, what do you want for dinner? And the answer is whatever. 
no, that's very dismissive. That means I yes. don't value what you're doing. Exactly. I don't value the options. And I've also found that in places where in large organizations, um, where a whatever culture can exist, <laughs> it means that I'm helpless. It means that, yeah. you know, whatever I decide doesn't make a difference yes. anyway. So whatever. And that's not good either. No, so that's true. whatever organization that you need to change that attitude or go to an organization where it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it's just toxic. It's just toxic to feel that way about yourself and about your environment. Um, it can mean I don't care. It yeah. can mean I hate you. Where, mm -hmm. where I, in my consulting experience, I've, I often found that it meant you make the decision for me and I'll blame you later. Exactly. Yes, that really resonates. <laughs> yeah, and in consulting that you get blamed anyway. So whatever meant, you make the decision and I'll blame you later, Mr. Hotshot. Yeah, yes. Um, so this, this resistance to making decisions, um, you know, I think there are, there are some common traps and pitfalls that some people can fall into when it comes to making decisions. Um, do you have any uh, strategies or tips that you could share around avoiding these traps to mm -hmm. sort of Im improve your decision-making strengths if you, if you need to develop those? Yeah, well, one is, um, I, I use email as an example. Mm -hmm. We wake up in the morning, we have 100 or 200, pick a number. There's a lot of emails and we have to make a decision about every single one. Yeah. Now the easiest ones are the deletes. Delete, 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 delete. Yeah. And then there's some medium ones where you'll get back to them quickly. And then there's a bunch of hard ones. And those are the ones that you usually don't make decisions about. Mm. And those are the ones that you should make decisions about. So, so, my first piece of advice is when faced with a decision, make it, yeah. don't, don't delay it. Cause what happens then is it leads quickly to decision fatigue because <laughs> those decisions that you didn't make on Monday's emails pile up. So by Friday, you've got a lot of decisions to make and you're just going, ah, I, you know, I have so many decisions to make. So, so my, my first piece of advice is to make the decision when you're faced with it. The second piece of advice is, there, we all have little tools that we use that work. And it could be a, a very simple pro and con list. Mm -hmm. You're the pros, you're the cons. Mm -hmm. um, but recognize that sometimes the pros and the cons are not, not equal and make the decision based on, on, on what your, what your self-awareness tells you. For example, um, my wife and I bought a house once. All the pros were, the biggest pro was, it, uh, we liked the wallpaper in one of the bathrooms. <laughs> Cons where it needed a new foundation and a new roof, but we bought it anyway. And it worked out. It, it's yeah. been a great decision. Yeah. Um, so it could be pros and cons. It could be um, one of the things that happens now is uh, because of Google and everybody else, we, we live in a world of al algorithms, mm -hmm. which is basically if then. If I do this, then this happens. If I don't do this, then this mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. So you create algorithms in your head about what that would mean. I also um, learned that uh, for some younger people, they uh, they consult with their uh, iPhone and they ask Siri. 
what what should they do? And Siri is smart. So, but that is not a good technique. Mind-blowing. The same person also uses one of those magic eight balls, a toy where you yeah. ask. <laughs> I think that might be more effective. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it so, leaves some creativity to you at that point. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my advice is use whatever tool you feel comfortable with. I, one of the tools that I used in consulting all the time that can bring can bring it all the way back down is the simple Harvey balls. You know the technique where you line up the variables and just and factors and then fill it up with with those balls that you fill in. And it's it's an easy tool and I outline them all in the book. It's oh, it doesn't need to be hard. We don't right. need pivot, we don't need pivot tables and long spreadsheets and Venn diagrams. It's all about uh, making simple using your simple variables to make simple decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're in that state of, of not wanting to make a decision or not feeling able to make a decision, it's so easy to overcomplicate everything and to start yeah. to overanalyze and, and create more tasks before you make the decision. And yeah. ultimately, I think that's really important what you just said about simplify, simplify. Yeah. Well, the uh, Cornell researchers, uh, I don't know how they figured this out, but they discovered that we make about 35,000 decisions every day. Yeah. So they, they, if you don't make them, they pile up and it's not good. No, and it, it does create sort of noise in your head, right? You've got this, this decision fatigue that you mentioned and it just it creates just a lot of tension. And, yeah. and, and think about this, Natalie, I mean, you and I speaking is a good example. I could have said, uh, I, you know, I don't feel it's Friday. I'm tired. You know, I don't feel it. Whatever. No. And, and, and we didn't. And so our talking might affect someone in your audience and it's, sure. so it ripples out there. When you don't say whatever, you don't know what will happen. That's positive. Our talk is a good example. I love that. Thank you for saying that because me starting this podcast felt like a big risk, right? I jumped into it. It was terrifying at first. And now I'm just, it's enriched my whole life because I get to have conversations like this. And then it ripples out, like you say, to, I've heard so many people yeah. say, oh my goodness, I love that episode. It helped me so much. And so there is a yeah. big, big, yeah, not saying whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. I tell the story in the book, I was at a baseball game with one of my sons and we're drinking beer it wasn't our first beer and and his boss walked by and in that split second he had to decide he could have said whatever there goes my boss i don't want to talk to her because i'm having a beer with my dad but he yes. didn't he said hi and, you know and he called her over we had a great time and it mm -hmm. led to a better relationship with his boss yeah and that simple not saying whatever in that instance could have changed his career absolutely yes um, you often emphasize the phrase action follows intent. Um, could you just speak to that a little bit and shed a sure. light on why that concept is so crucial? Yeah, it's the, it's the underlying concept of the, of the entire book. Yeah. And what I found is that in interviewing leaders, and we probably know this, but we don't articulate it very well, is that if your intent is clear, then your decisions are very easy to make. Mm -hmm. So uh, the example I use are if you intend to lose weight, your decisions are about being on a diet. 
If you intend to stay in shape, your decisions are about what activities you can take that will help you. So you take, you decide to take the stairs instead of the elevator. Mm -hmm. So what I found is that leaders are clear about their intent. So the decisions follow quickly. So when I think about it, when you think about intentions, often it's the visions and the missions that are so mm -hmm. often on the, on the walls but it can be brought down to per the personal level. One of the people I interviewed for the book is uh, a man in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Mm -hmm. He is both an Episcopal priest and a very successful corporate lawyer. Wow. And he has a personal mission statement, a personal intention every day, and that is to help people. So he makes all these decisions based on how he, how he can help people every day. So if your intent is clear, then it's easy to make decisions. It's actions follow intent, decisions follow intent, but it's hard to clarify your intentions. Yes. Oh, this this inter, interleaves so perfectly with the work that I do. So I love this. Um, you know, when we use that as a filter for our decision-making and our actions, we, you know, we, we when we create that, it's so, life gets so much easier, both business okay. and life, you know, when you have, how can I help as your filter or whatever it is that you decide is the right one for you? That's one, one of the interviews I did was with an entrepreneur and she failed at, at one of her first enterprises because she was sloppy in her decision-making. And every time mm. somebody asked her about a cost to spend money, she said, whatever. And it didn't <laughs> make a decision. And, and the company ran out of, they ran out of money. Yeah. And so now as a successful entrepreneur, her intent every day is to not run out of money. Right. And she makes decisions accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's simple. It is simple. Yeah. Yeah. And one piece of advice I have for all of your entrepreneurs listening is don't run out of money. Right. Yes. Yes. So that's that's also another keystone of the work that I do. It's like, how do, how do we make that simple? Right. How do we make the, the money piece instead of making it scary and a place where you do procrastinate to make decisions? Let's just make that easy. And there are simple ways to make it easy. And then you can just keep your eye on the yeah. on, on that. And, and then, yeah, then it's yeah. then you don't run out of money and it's simple. <laughs> it's yeah. If your intent is to have a product out in three months, then everything is about that. All decisions yeah. are about that. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I, I'm often accused of over oversimplifying things, but uh, if you want, I mean, I have a PhD in organization behavior. I've, I've done a lot of big integrations. I can make life really complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my goal has always been to turn it the other way. Yes. Yeah, I think, in fact, the people who can simplify things have that depth of understanding have experienced what it is to really research and and go into the into the nitty-gritty into the fine details and then pull out the the essentials so that it's it's so much quicker to yeah. to access the information to to make the decisions to progress towards the things that really matter to us yeah one of the leaders i interviewed he said he boiled the, the entire world down to this he said even the complex decisions what I do is I look at the data, yeah. important. I listen to people, mm -hmm. very important. Yeah. I clarify the options because there's typically not a lot of options. There's only usually two or three. Yeah. And then I make a decision. Yeah. That's 
that's his world. And I think it's a good way to look at things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so before we wrap up, I do want to ask you the question, um, you know, how has your definition of success evolved over time and why? Uh, you're closing with a hard one. My, and it relates to the book and it relates yeah. maybe to this podcast, my definition of success, and it has happened to me more than once, many times as, as both a CEO and a college president and a venture capitalist, where someone that comes to me and sometimes I don't know them and they said, you know, you told me something that changed my life. And it's especially important if I don't know the person where um, that for me was my definition, my definition of success because I made an impact. Yeah. And that's, it's not about money. It's not about prestige. It's about helping others be successful. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you for sharing that as well. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for your time today. It's been just such a pleasure talking to you. And um, before we wrap up, can you just let listeners know where they can find you online and find yeah, your books? Sure. Yeah, the book is available everywhere. It's on all the usual places and that won't be named, but it's easily available. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I also have a, a website, it's richardmoran.com. And I do check that and respond. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. I have uh, lots of lots of followers and connections and I do respond to messages. So I'm easy to reach and I'm uh, <clears throat> readily available for over-the-counter consulting. Fantastic. Oh, great to know. And I'm sure you'll have people reaching out and definitely buying your book. Um, so that's, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with the world. And I just want to thank you again for your time today and to everyone listening. I'm so glad that you were all able to be here with us today as well. Thanks, Natalie. Hey, have you taken the Success Archetype quiz yet? If not, head on over to storytonic.co to take the quiz and discover how to leverage your unique profile to step into your next vision of success.